0: It's true that the music we listen to in our youth can often have an extra-sized impact on us, casting a deep shadow throughout our lives. The songs you hear during pivotal moments can take on extra meaning and conjure up old emotions whenever the notes return to your ears. But what if the music had an even closer personal connection to you? What if one of the most popular songs of the entire century, played in diners and dances across the country, only brought you pain? because it only reminded you of what you'd lost, of what could have been. This is the case for Gerald, who says his father, Marvin, was the true author of one of the original rock and roll songs. But the glory, the fame, and the money had all been stolen from him by his father's brother, Chuck Berry. Hello and welcome. You're listening to This Literally Happened. I'm your soon-to-be award-winning host, Greg Persons.
1: And my name is Ryan Peter. Congratulations to you, listener. This is a show where we will examine the stories you think you know and look at them from a new angle to get the real scoop. And guess what? Turns out you were wrong about everything. But rest assured, these events are real. This actually occurred. This literally happened.
0: For decades, Chuck Berry has been upheld as one of the original pioneers of a music known as rock and roll, a genre popular among youth in the mid-20th century. I didn't know him that well.
2: My mom and my grandma raised me, and then he would write me letters saying he was on tour with, you know, the cousins of Fast Domino and Little Richard, Skinny Dominoes and Big Dicky. His letters say the same things. I love you. Uh, I'm proud of you. I miss you, I hope you're doing well. He usually include a few questions too, like how tall are you? How school? Your uncle's still a little bitch. But I guess that should have been my first clue. This is from Christmas 1958. And he wrote, I should have been able to give you all the riches in the world, but your birthright was stolen by Uncle Chuck. I wrote Johnny Be Good. Me. I did. I played it for the first time on 11-12-1955, Then I have nothing to show for it. And you're not in my life. Merry Christmas, Dad.
0: Gerald Jerry Berry works as a senior community organizer for the Preservation Society in Hill Valley, California.
2: Man, Hill Valley has been my home all my life. I want people to know that there's a lot more to this place than just hoverboards and Biff Tannen. mm
1: You don't like Biff. He's rich. Which I think at some point everyone should try being.
2: In the 80s, he tanked our economy and privatized our police. And then in the 90s, he got caught having sex with Nancy Reagan. He's directly responsible for the increased television coverage of Texas Hold'em Poker. Now he's trying to finally destroy the last bit of our cultural heritage.
0: Yes, a lot of people agree that Biff is great. But how does the clock tower fit into all of this? The
2: clock tower is a symbol of this city's beating heart. You know, the clock tower was struck by lightning on November 12, 1955 at 10.04 p.m.? Mm-hmm. But what you don't know is why that date and time is significant. That was the exact same moment where rock and roll was invented. It was played for the first time ever right here by a man named Marvin Berry. He was my dad. Chuck actually got his start by doing covers of songs that Marvin wrote. But my father wasn't as business savvy, so Chuck got all the glory. And nobody knows about Marvin Barry. That's why I'm proud to reveal that when the clock tower is restored and unveiled, we'll be renaming it the Marvin Barry clock tower.
0: Mr. Barry, would you describe your situation as heartbreaking? I'm not
2: heartbroken. Why would I say this is heartbreaking?
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Ryan and I did some research to verify Gerald's heartbreaking claims. And luck would have it, we were able to find three original pressings of Marvin
1: Berry singles. Turns out there were a lot of them at this vintage store in the Nostalgia District next door to the Cafe 80s. What's crazy is that nobody had ever cared to look before. That's kind of weird to me. These would be a collector's item if they're really the true originals, especially since teens love Chuck Berry so much. Mm. It's like the only thing they listen to besides EDM. Unfortunately, these Marvin records aren't dated. In fact, they all look like they were self-released. So then the
0: question becomes this, did Marvin's versions come first? If so, then it's justice for Gerald to restore the clock tower in Marvin's honor, even if it is at the expense of the president. But if these came after Chuck's, then Marvin Berry is
1: simply a deadbeat who lied to his son. You know that Pulitzer Prize news story you've been looking for? Well, listen to this.
3: Definitely stop telling lies. Definitely stop telling lies. Cause if you don't, I won't take you out for milkshakes and french fries. Take it on.
0: Okay, that was Marvin Berry. Definitely, a song that clearly bears a strong resemblance to the popular Chuck Berry song, Maybelline. But much. Shittier. That's true. But, Ryan, is this because it is the rough demo version or because it's a sad imitation? My man, that is the mystery. You may have heard the song Roll Over Beethoven, one of Chuck Berry's most popular songs. And at some unknown date, Marvin Berry released this song, Sleep In, Mr. Mozart. Well, he's been up
3: all night composing right in the magic flute. The marriage of Figaro and Symphony number no. 5, two. Sleep in, Mr. Mozart. You ought to stay in bed till noon. Stay snoozing, Wolfgang. Woo!
0: Now that's what I call music. Johnny B. Good was released in 1958 by Chuck Berry, but he claimed to have actually written it three years earlier, in December 1955. Was he leaving out the fact that he plagiarized the song from his cousin Marvin, presumably from this original version? Deep down
3: in North Carolina, in the town of Winston-Salem, in a neighborhood that... Venezuelans, there stood a little house behind a rickety gate where lived a non-Venezuelan guy named Bobby B. Great. His middle initial was D because his middle name was Blow. And that's what he would do with his mouth into an oboe. Blow blow. Blow into that oboe bobby blow. Blow into that oboe bobby blow. The Venezuelans really love it when you blow. When you blow into that
0: oboe bobby blow. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Hairspace. Need some hair in a hurry? No questions asked, Hairspace delivers quality hair at affordable prices. Now these aren't the kind of hair pieces or wigs that your father wore, no, these are real hairs woven by people who care. You'll look great, feel great, no one will know it's Hairspace unless you tell them, hey, I love Hairspace, and that's up to you. Hairspace provides a safe space for customers who want hair without the hassle. Hey, Ryan, you know who uses Hairspace to get that thick, luxurious mane of neon yellow hair?
1: I sure do. Paid spokesman and United States President Biff Tannen. Such a cool guy. Great hair. Nice, firm ass. That's exactly right. If Hairspace is good enough for the high roller in chief, then it's good enough for you, too. Visit www.hairspace.com or download the Hairspace app. To save 15% off your first purchase, use promo code TLH for this literally happened. Welcome back. So, as we join you today,
0: we've found two people who claim to be eyewitnesses to the secret birth of rock and roll in Hill Valley. In autumn 1955, Lester Murphy and Franny Doyle were 16-year-old classmates entering their junior year of high school. On Thursday, November 3rd, Lester approached Franny in the hallways after first period. He asked if she would go with him to the upcoming formal dance. Franny said yes. Lester and Franny attended the Enchantment Under the Sea dance together. Saturday, November 12th, 1955. Clear skies are in the forecast, there is no mention of any potential inclement weather, and yet a lightning strike from an unexpected thunderstorm would be the least shocking thing about this evening. Because this would be the night Marvin Berry immortalized a new popular music sound playing Johnny B. Good for the first time in recorded history, which we now know was originally called Bobby Be Great.
1: Allegedly.
0: Right. After graduation, Lester and Franny were married. They're still together to this day, and though nearly 80 years old now, both Lester and Franny claim to clearly remember the dance that night and the performance of Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. They said they would never forget the night they fell in love. Allegedly. Mr. and Mrs. Murphy, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Hello to everyone out there in radio land. Sir,
5: this is a podcast. Hello, citizens of Podcast Land. I just want to say it is about time that the media recognized that there's more to Hill Valley than just
0: Biff. Why don't you tell us what you remember about the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance on November 12th, 1955? Specifically, what do you remember about the performance that night from Marvin Barry and the Starlighters?
4: I remember they played your favorite song, Earth Angel. You love that song, don't you, baby?
5: Yeah. I mean, it's okay. We had our first kiss to that song. I mean, that I would never forget. (laughs) I tell you, Greg, I was so nervous, I almost missed. Oh, but thankfully, you landed on the right spot. Her lips. Oh, (laughs) that's right.
0: That's very sweet. So we're investigating a claim that something
1: momentous happened during the performance that night. Specifically, if anything, was invented. Oh, I see what you're asking oh, for. Oh wow, yeah. wow!
5: Well, that was the night that we uh, invented fingering. <laughs> what?
0: Fingering.
5: What some people do call it, finger blasting.
0: Uh, yeah, we're I we're familiar, but um, we can talk about this some other times. So let's focus on the performance. Sorry about him. Uh, Greg's a virgin. Oh. <laughs> I figured. I'm not a virgin. Just want to keep us on track. I also have high standards. The claim we're investigating is about Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. And Can
5: you believe that, though? I mean, no human beings had ever fingered before 1955.
1: Tbh, I don't remember hearing anything about fingering prior to 1955. Us Greg. either.
5: Then I knew some skanks, Lorraine Baines not to speak ill of her because she's the
0: first lady and we used to be friends, but- (laughs) Wait a second, you knew Biff's wife? Sorry to interrupt here, but did you hear the band play a song that night called Bobby Be Great? No, absolutely not. How about Johnny Be Good? Did you hear Johnny Be Good played that night?
5: That was it, wasn't it?
0: Yeah,
4: we loved that song and we've made love to it countless times.
5: All teens love
1: Chuck Berry.
5: Now, I remember that night when was the first time that we heard Johnny Be Good. Truthfully, I don't think we would have ever come up with fingering if it wasn't for how that boy plucked those strings at the end. We were all stunned, speechless. I mean, he said, "Your kids are gonna love it."
0: Okay, so the first time you ever heard Johnny Be Good was that night, played by Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. No, but but you just no,
5: said. no, the band didn't play that one. It was the the white kid, the transfer kid. He stepped in to play a few songs.
4: That's right. It was so funny. All these black fellas playing for us. And then this tiny white kid comes up and did these things with an instrument that we'd never seen before. Who is this transfer student? Oh, he was in the Navy or something. They like wouldn't that. shut up about him. Girls love the Navy.
5: Oh, actually, wait. I think he just had a boat.
4: Let me tell you, Greg. This kid, he's in our school for not even two weeks, and he comes in and sends Biff and his buddies driving straight into a truck full of Dookie. (laughs) (laughs) Boy,
5: that was a sight. The President of the United States covered in Dookie. We saw this happen, and we were like, oh, wow, that boy is hot. The dance was the last time any of us saw Calvin. He never came back.
0: Why did I think he was called Marty?
5: that was Lorraine's nickname for him, but his real name was Calvin Klein.
0: Calvin Klein? The fashion designer?
5: Oh, I I never really thought about it, but, uh, yeah. Oh, it it must be. Calvin Klein. I'll give him credit.
4: You gotta be a smart guy to make money with underpants to just have your name on them.
0: Okay, so the proposal is to rename the clock tower the Marvin Berry Clock Tower. The Preservation Society claims it was Marvin who invented rock and roll that night.
5: It was Calvin that played it, and I know that for a fact. Lorraine, she did try to have sex with him, you know, because she's a whore. Honey. Well, she was. And after Calvin, Lorraine was steady with the shy boy. You know, they got married, too, before Biff. But isn't that wild? We went to school with the
4: future president
1: and a big-time fashion designer who also invented rock and roll. You guys sure had a lot of talented white people at
5: your school. I mean, I can tell you which of my other friends were whores if you want.
0: Yes, please. Thank you so much. I think that will do it. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Sorry. So now we have a third potential candidate for who wrote Johnny B. Good: Chuck Berry, Marvin Berry, and the fashion magnate Calvin Klein.
0: Right. And following our chat with the Murphys, we did verify that a Calvin Klein not pictured was in the 1955 Hill Valley High yearbook. However, Calvin Klein's Wikipedia says that in 1955, he was 13 years old in New York City. Now, it could be possible that there are two different people, both named Calvin Klein. Unlikely and impossible to prove. And if Calvin has nothing to do with Hill Valley, Marvin Berry, Biff Tannen, Johnny B. Good, and the lightning storm of November 12th, 1955, then what about the email that we sent him asking about it? Why did Calvin Klein never respond if he has nothing to hide? Mm Mm-hmm. After a few weeks of lurking on a message board called Hill Valley Truth, I found a particular poster who seemed especially knowledgeable about the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and Calvin Klein's performance of Johnny B. Good. We reached out to the poster, username Doc3000, asking for his cooperation.
1: Now this poster claimed to have a high-level government job that he couldn't risk by meeting us in public. Which is why I suggested using the voice disguiser thing like in To Catch a Predator.
5: On the night in question,
1: Yes, it does sound pretty cool, but that
0: did not sway him. We were forced to meet his demands. No microphones, no cameras, totally off the record. He wanted to meet at midnight in the parking lot of the abandoned Lone Pine Mall, so we agreed. But what he doesn't know is that I lied. I will have a microphone. It will be planted inside my jacket pocket, the last place he'd suspect. Okay, I got it, I like the vibe. All right, let me set the scene for you folks. Uh, It is 11.55 p.m. I am standing alone in a parking lot. Ryan is in a rented production van around the corner, furthest possible distance before the mic's wireless is out of reach. He's recording me so in case anything happens, like if I die tonight in the field, then we will have it all recorded, guaranteeing me, at minimum, a posthumous Webby Award. I have a small flesh-colored
1: earpiece so I can hear Ryan. Do you think I can have the lights on? What's that? Not the outside lights of the van, but, you know, like, something inside so I can read my manga.
0: No. No. Are you kidding me? No. Ryan, you have to be inconspicuous, man. You gotta... just be quiet. Alright, now listen. Here's the plan. One more time. If I repeat one of his questions, that means I want you to Google it, okay? Because I need to be able to verify his claims
1: as they come. Got it. Google questions. Headlights. This has got to be him, Ryan.
0: stealing myself radio history podcast, podcast history bro podcast history okay oh shit oh god oh god i could die but i'm brave i'm brave i'm brave all right Showtime.
3: are you alone y- yes let's go for a rat
0: for for a ride.
6: Get in
1: So uh for a ride is an idiom. It means to carry someone about, usually for recreation, in a car, boat, plane, etc. Um it can also mean to take away and murder a person. Whoa. <laughs> oh god, really? Shit! Shit!
0: See, that's why I reached out because I don't know anything. So. But
1: how do we know what you do or do not know if you know what we know? Greg, I got you in range. If you can hear me, I got you. All right,
0: let's cut to the chase. Who wrote Johnny Be Good? Where, how, why?
3: Calvin, Calvin Klein! At the enchantment under the sea. On guitar. Filling in for Marvin Berry.
6: Arriving inside a refrigerator.
0: Powered by lightning. You're telling me they built a teleportation machine out of a refrigerator? The Cuxflipacitator!
6: That's what makes teleportation possible! The CIA gave a 13-year-old Calvin Klein a machine made out of hollowed-out refrigerator that could teleport him anywhere in the world.
3: So he teleported here.
6: To invent! A rock and roll, and then keep his hands clean.
0: Yeah, what? what? What?
6: What? It's like how everyone knows that the CIA created cocaine, right?
0: I guess
3: rock and roll and LSD were the same thing just earlier.
6: Fucking mind
3: control shit, man.
0: Yeah, but I, I don't know where to begin, really.
3: It doesn't end there. You see, groundhogs burrow deeper, but moles dig more complex tunnels.
0: Damn it,
6: was at that dance for a reason. I mean, the song Johnny Be Good was written for Biff. It was a trigger to activate the sleeper inside him. The song is full of coded
3: messages instructing Biff to be the man the CIA and the Russian Politburo chose as their
6: future puppet president. Johnny Be Good. Now, that's about a poor boy from Louisiana who couldn't read or write, and yet he could, and I quote play the guitar like he was ringing a bell. Biff Tannen is Johnny B. Good, a patsy,
3: a doofus, an idiot savant who became the world's greatest gambler. Instead of making his name playing rock music like the character in the song, he made his name betting on horses and baseball. And then finally, the climactic third verse. As Calvin Klein wrote, his mother told him, someday you will be a man and you will be the leader of a big old band. Many people coming from miles around to hear you play your music when the sun go down. Maybe
6: someday your name will be in lights, saying, Johnny, be good tonight. The band Klein sang about, the United States. The name of the lights, the Tannen Pleasure Palace, which replaced the clock tower. This was all part of the play.
1: If this
0: was all for Biff, why involve Chuck Berry?
6: Teens love Chuck Berry.
0: I told you. Please shut the fuck up.
6: Did you just tell me to shut the
3: fuck up?
1: No. (laughs) Way to totally blow our cover, Greg. Hey,
3: how come that van keeps following us? Oops.
0: Uh, don't know. Never seen a van before in my life. Huh, ch- hey, what's that? Look out. Hey, hit the brakes. Ah, that
4: Journalism.
0: All right, well, I broke my wrist jumping out of the van, but as you just heard, it was for good reason. That is prestige podcasting. That is what it's all about
1: breaking bones and chasing leads, going where no one else will go and asking the questions no one else will. Yes, that is what I did.
0: I don't recall you asking many questions other than can I read my Japanese comic books with the lights on, but thanks for the help. At last, we're about to solve the mysteries. Who was Marvin Barry and who wrote Johnny B. Good? All that was left now was to deliver our findings to Gerald and the truth about his father, to hopefully offer him some peace. As you'll recall, the last time we spoke with Jerry, he had this to say. This is heartbreaking. So now, here is the concluding segment of This Literally Happened. Definitely
3: stop telling lies. Definitely stop telling lies.
2: It's like the Weird Al versions of Chuck Berry songs before Weird Al was born.
0: Yeah, that's about right. Now, this one came out in 1959 a year after Johnny B. Good, four years after the Enchantment Under the Sea dance in 1955. And Gerald, this would be your father's final recording. Bobby B. Great. Deep down in North Carolina,
3: in the town of Winston-Salem, in a neighborhood that was about 50% Venezuelans, there stood a little house behind a rickety gate where lived a non-Venezuelan guy named Bobby B. Great. His middle initial was B because his middle name was Blow, and that's what he would do with his mouth into an a.
0: You see, Chuck was never ripping off Marvin, it was the other way around. Marvin was ripping off Chuck the whole time. God almighty, this is horrible. I need to reach out to Uncle Chuck's kid. Shit! I need to mend that fence. But that's not the whole story, because Johnny B. Good
1: wasn't authored by Chuck Berry either. You said it was not my father. It's not. It was fashion designer Calvin Klein.
0: What? See, on November 12th, 1955, Calvin Marty Klein returned back to New York in a refrigerator powered by lightning after performing the song he wrote, Johnny Be Good.
1: It froze the clock tower. The government wrote it and they gave it to Calvin to give to Marvin so he'd try to recreate it but never be able to, and plant the idea in Chuck's mind so the CIA and the Russians could control the mind of a young Biff Tannen and install him as their puppet dictator. The replacing of the clock tower with a casino was a way to erase the evidence.
2: That's your story. Yeah. A rich white man used teleportation with. Now let me get this straight now. With the CIA and the Russians. Yep. Yep. That's right.
0: Uh-huh. That's exactly
2: it. You got it. Calvin Klein. That's the best you can come up with to erase
0: black people from rock and roll. I, I, I'm. I'm just. We're. we're just reporting no, facts. We are not serious accurate. journalists. I, you know, I don't know. You, These you would things say, happen. Sort of you is not a color. we don't really see.
2: Get the fuck out of my house. You racist piece of shit. And you too. We're telling the truth, we're truth tellers. Johnny be gone!
1: You made it through the entire episode of This Literally Happened. Thank you for joining us as our investigation
0: has proven without a shadow of a doubt that Chuck Berry musical icon is a liar and a fraud. For Ryan Peter, I'm Greg Persons. This literally happened.